1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Queer Talk, a queer podcast that brings you a weekly dose of positive news stories and fabulous interviews. Hi!
2: Today we're joined by the wonderful Dean McCullough. Dean has reached a point in his career where speaking up for marginalised communities is at the core of what he does. He's used to being in the driving seat. Dean has interviewed a whole host of incredible people at Pride events on panels and on his regular radio slot on Gaydio. Today we're flipping this on its head because we have some questions
1: for the man himself. Welcome back to Queer Talk. We're joined by Gaydio presenter Dean McCulloch. Hey Dean, welcome to Queer
2: Talk. First of all, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do, who you are.
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean, thanks for having me. First of all, this is great. This is like only the the second ever podcast interview I've ever done. And I'm I'm getting slightly obsessed with podcasts. So thank you. And thank you for all the work that you guys do. I think it's really important to have space for queer people to literally just talk. And if you could imagine something like this happening 20, 30 years ago, I think people would have laughed at us. So it's it's great that. That that we're doing this, um, yeah. So I'm a radio presenter, TV and radio presenter, and I host a breakfast show at Gadium. I come from a musical theatre background, though I trained in in um, acting, singing, and dancing since the age of about seven. Um, I'm 28 now, so yeah. I kind of segued quite accidentally, I think, into the world of presenting, and I've never looked back. And then I think, I think now. I, um, I, I heard you say in your intro about about speaking up for people, and I think now. I, I'm not taking presenting any more seriously or not seriously than when I was first starting out. I think I've just really realised that what I say really does matter for not just the words that I say, but the the space that I hold, like you guys, for people to come on my show. And, and I actually have a platform now where I can help people to share their stories but yeah i i I lived in london for eight years after i was training in musical theater and i worked in the west end i worked right across europe as a dancer choreographer which was brilliant and i loved every minute of it and the dancer in me is still very much alive i can't (laughs) wait for strictly to start in three hours time (laughs) um because yeah so, yeah, I think and I lived in London for eight years and then I went traveling for about um, 10 months where I traveled the whole way from India to Bali, stopping off in Vietnam, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand. I love Thailand. When you go traveling, people say, oh, you're doing soul searching. Are you going to try and find yourself? And in the beginning, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not <laughs> doing that. I'm, I am I, just want a break. I just actually want to go and spend my mornings on the beach. But then when yeah. I came back, I realized that it was more out there. So I think that search of me becoming me happened quite organically when I was traveling. And then I moved to Manchester off the back of traveling because I met the love of my life at the time Mm -hmm. on the beach on Christmas Day. And then I moved to Manchester. And I think now sort of starting to see the value of all those travels, the value of how hard it was living in London for eight years, the value of all my professional training the value of all the people that I've met and I think I've kind of chilled out a little bit and I've realised that everything's going to be okay and that all roads are pointing me in the right direction so
1: So you're in a good
2: place
3: I am in a good place yeah yeah, it's you're
2: very um, upbeat and positive right now Um, growing up uh, in Northern Ireland and having your coming out experience how how did that kind of play out for you was that quite positive too or have you had to grow from
3: that I always say I lived two lives in Northern Ireland. I lived my academic school life where I had to be straight. I had to be straight acting. Mm. I had to hide everything. I couldn't talk about anything that I wanted to talk about. I was very, very sort of... Diluted. Yeah. Almost non-existent, actually. Mm. It was like I couldn't be myself at all. And even though... Everybody around me knew that I was different. Before I knew that I was different, I was just different. But Northern Ireland is a very strange place and it's very, very heteronormative and it's very masculine. It's -hmm. a very masculine country and I grew up in a very masculine environment where there was, you know, there was people being shot at the end of my street. My cousin was murdered. Mm -hmm. My family are massive and they're all incredible. Mm -hmm. But we are a very diverse family and... You know, there was loads of problems, alcoholism, fight, segregation. So for me to come out and be who I want to be was just completely out of the question. But that's not anything to do with my upbringing or anything like that. I was celebrated yeah. and told that I can be whatever I want, be whoever I want. But society had other ideas for me. And I didn't know anybody that was gay or I didn't even really know what gay was until I was like maybe 10. So that was like one side of me. And then the other side of me was like age seven. And I remember starting drama school and my mommy the reason why she got me into drama school was because she didn't know what to do with me she was like <laughs> i've just got this child who's just <laughs> bouncing off the wall she saw an advert in the papers and put me in drama school which was like a youth theater school and then i ended up taking it really seriously so that was like my real colorful side and the school that i went to was actually called the rainbow factory and it's still going now it's the best drama school in the whole of ireland and little did I know when I was seven that rainbows would play such a huge part in my life. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then, so at the age of seven until the age of about 17, then I was constantly acting, singing and dancing. Life was good. We had a very, very good upbringing. I was going on holiday every year. We had an amazing Christmas. Mum and dad were, were awesome. And then whenever I knew that it was time for me to come out and I needed to say the words, I'm gay, I think that's mm. when it all got really tricky for me and quite dark because it's that like bubbling sensation it's like an undercurrent and you know it's coming and it has to come out yeah probably. and i just didn't know how that was going to happen because it, i was called gay dean at school like dean's gay gay dean faggot i was bullied so so badly was but that I didn't really you came out as well yeah 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 definitely mm. but because i had that all going on and then on the other side i was able to go to drama school and dance and sing to billy Elliot. That was my release, so I didn't really mind the billion. I kind of just accepted it, you know, and it was really quite bad. I was spat on, I was beat up. It really taught me how to be sharp-tongued, quick-wit. I can... Read you for filth, but that was long <laughs> before RuPaul even opened the library. That was just me retaliating, like all of us do as gay boys, isn't it? You do learn how to fight
1: back. As a defence.
3: Yeah, completely. And then I and then I knew it was time for me to come out. And it was and my mummy kind of dragged it out of me. She sat me down and she was like, "Is there anything that you would like to tell me?" And I was like, "What? Like what?" And she was like. I know you want to tell me what you want to tell me and I was like "Mom, I don't know what you're talking about and it was just that kind of conversation and sure. um, so she kind of dragged out of me but my fam I've never had to come out to any of my family I've never had to sit down any of my aunties or uncles I've never had to like have really awkward conversations with people they knew me before I was willing to know myself if that makes sense but yeah. Northern Ireland is a very, very strange country and it's run by dinosaurs who just don't give a fuck about the LGBT community. They don't care. They see us as aliens. They see us as dirty, as a a sin um, against God, etc., etc. So it really, really wasn't easy. But I think this week you'll have seen that same sex marriage has been completely, finally, after a very, very long time.
1: It's been a really long journey.
3: Yeah, it's finally happened. It makes me very proud. It's really weird. I, I kind of feel like there's a massive weight off my shoulders because if for whatever reason I was to meet the man of my dreams, I'd be happy to bring him back to Belfast and marry him because I can now. Mm, <laughs> so sure. it's, a, it's a nice journey. It's a nice journey.
1: Did you still find it awkward after you came out to express yourself around your family?
3: A little bit. I wasn't definitely wasn't able to live my true authentic self, but I was able to do me. It's really weird because whenever I think about this, I, I think about how I was burying my head in the sand I was burying my head in, in the sand on stage so my advice to anybody who is on a coming out journey right now if you have that one thing that's keeping you going whilst you're still trying to work out where you're going hold on to it because you don't realize the value of that until later on at life I honestly don't know what I would have done if I didn't have my acting singing and dancing because I it was really, really. A, it was a release and an outlet for me. Even though it was a positive experience, it it still wasn't easy. I don't. I don't hmm. think. I don't really think there is an easy way for anybody to come out. I think it's always going to be really hard for you just to say the words. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Do you think it's a lot easier for children in Northern Ireland now compared to when you were? Um, 10 years ago i
3: would like to think so i think now that we've seen same-sex marriage becoming legal and Mm. that step forward into the future because they've honestly been living in the past i really (laughs) hope that that allows young people to see that they are valid the lgbt community in northern ireland has some of the worst mental health statistics than anywhere else in this country Mm. and it's shocking i mean we take our spaces like canal street soho Brighton Seafront, you know, we, mm. we take our, our, our gay village in Birmingham's and our, and our Glasgow scenes, we take all of those for granted. But honestly, I cannot explain to you how bad of a scene it can be for some people in Northern Ireland. It's not as illustrious. It's not as multifaceted. Yeah. You know, we've got trans nights and we've got like gender fluid nights and Vogue balls, et etc. Et here in England. In Northern Ireland, that doesn't happen And trans Mm -hmm. people still exist in Northern Ireland. So there's still a long way to go. We've only just seen this week that there's an HIV clinic in Northern Ireland that's being closed, not opened, Mm. closed, um, which creates a whole realm of problems. So I would like to say that it's easier for young people to come out in Northern Ireland. I can't comment because I'm not there at at the moment, but I think there's still a long way to go.
1: So how did you go from musical theatre um where did that lead you
3: yeah it led me to london at um, age of 17 i was out of there first ran our flight straight to london <laughs> um i had only been in london for like an hour and i got asked did i want to buy any weed um, <laughs> and i rang my auntie and was like oh my god people are pushing drugs on me i've only been here for an hour um so that was crazy i said no by the way if anybody cares if i, I was just weeder. about to ask
1: <laughs> yeah no, i didn't
3: buy the weed um but yeah, I went to London. I, I trained at Lane Theatre Arts, which is an incredible drama school. It's it's one of the best in Europe, and it gave me a really great training. Um, lots of regrets there. I think I was a bit of a dick, actually, um, and I just mm-hmm. didn't care as much at the time as I probably should have done. I think I was just really happy to be in London and to be out of Northern Ireland and to be with like-minded people like me. Yeah kissing boys of an evening you know how it is um, <laughs> <laughs> instead of like actually getting up in the morning and going to ballet but my vice principal gave me some advice whenever I finished my training when I was finishing my training he says to me Dean you are you're either going to go one or two ways you're either going to leave this school I haven't us given you all this training you're going to go straight into a West End show you're going to fuck it up by opening your mouth you're going <laughs> to then you're going to have to take some time out, go and learn who you are as a person, grow up a wee bit, and then come right back into theatre again. You'll either do that, or you'll come out of here, you'll go and grow up a wee bit, you'll find yourself, um, you'll probably get a little bit of fame behind you. Then you'll come back into musical theatre right where you belong. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in Wicked. I'm gonna be in Hairspray. I'm gonna do all these things. But actually, he was right. I did, I did need that time to grow up. But in my last year of drama school, I was scouted to be a presenter for this show called Move It, which is um, the world's biggest dance event. It happens every year. It didn't happen this year, but it happens every year in London. It's a massive exhibition. And they basically got in touch and they asked me to come and do this workshop. And I was like, I don't want to be a presenter. I want to be a dancer. Why would I want to just Mm. talk all the time? No, presenters, you know, presenters aren't cool. You know, it's all about being (laughs) on stage as a dancer. How wrong was I that actually that would pave my future and it would pay my bills in the end <laughs> yay you you definitely um you've you've landed the biggest LGBT
2: breakfast show in the UK so presenting definitely did you did you write in the world
3: honey in the world oh in the world in the world yeah excuse yeah. me excuse me no that's me. fine that's fine yeah I
2: love that for you how did you get there and how did you feel when you when you you know you got told that line you were like okay is, is
3: this what making it feels like no it's weird I don't I don't even sometimes I forget whenever I meet people like out and about you know when people say like oh I listen to your show every day like someone texted me in the gym was like I've been tuning in every morning I was like oh my god yeah actually I forget that people actually tune in and listen especially at the moment because it's not it's not uh, there's not a huge team of people in there where you Mm -hmm. can kind of feel like yeah there's loads of people listening and like we're creating this massive show for people and it's a massive like group of people doing this yeah. it's not that it's sometimes it can be just me the computer and the listener so it's really hard sometimes to think that there are hundreds of thousands of people tuned in every day so it's 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 really something
1: but to you you're just talking to yourself
3: <laughs> a little bit yeah i'm like God, do people actually listen to this shit and- <laughs> <laughs> But no, I I literally came back from from travelling. I moved to Manchester. lived in my boyfriend at the time's granny's spare bedroom. And I went down to Gateo, I knocked on the door and spoke to the programming manager. And I said, have you got time for a cup of tea? And he was like, yeah, yeah, come on in. And I just barged my way in and sat him down and went, so... I think that you should hire me. I think that you should have me host your drive time show. I think that you should have me go into all of the award shows, the red carpets, the premieres, and I should be interviewing all of these A-listers and we should be putting this all on your social media, blah, blah, blah. blah. And he just looked at me and was like, can you come in tomorrow? And I went, "Mm mm-hmm, I can. He says, come in tomorrow, record me a demo and we'll see how we get on. So I came in, I recorded it, and they loved it. And I ended up covering every single show on the schedule, effectively. Covering? Um, covering yeah so when people were off sick they oh. would have me in and I would and I would cover their You were shows. the understudy for a bit. I was the understudy yeah I was like the supply teacher. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: supply teacher we all love to have.
3: I think so yeah because I, I, let, I let the listeners get away with murder and I kind of got away <laughs> with murder as well but I have to say to you the team were brilliant they really worked well with me and they they literally nurtured me and still do now to this day to be the radio presenter that I am now because it's really really not easy and it's it's it can be quite tricky to get your food in the door especially with somewhere like Gatio, you know and it's mm. opened up so many other doors for me because i really bloody love what i do and mm. i really really care actually about I, I sometimes i care a bit too much like i come home on a friday and i'm like in tears at things that have happened or like behind the scenes stuff like mm. listeners get involved and and that was just before even the breakfast show and then when the pandemic hit and they picked up the phone they said look dean we really need you to host the breakfast show because we're going to go into this really strange tunnel and Mm. we don't know when we're coming out of it. And I was like, fuck. (laughs) I was like, right, okay. And then that was it. They told me on the Friday, we started on the Monday and I've been in there every single day, Monday to Friday, since the beginning of the pandemic, putting out this show, which has grown into a beast. It is a beast the, the listeners are crazy the guests are phenomenal and i'm so proud of it i'm proud of it because i'm part of it too like i'm just like a yeah. listener like yeah. i love i love the stuff that we mm. talk about i love the stuff that comes in and the, and i'm like desperate to like speak to jody harsh and speak to billy porter and speak to bianca del rio and and all these politicians and all these incredible listeners and people who li- people who listen in like countries where it's illegal to be gay and like they're messaging and all the time we're not allowed to read them out because they yeah. don't want us to but so it's it's this really exciting space to be in and it's really really special and and I'm and yeah I, I don't I wouldn't say like I don't it's weird because I don't think like you ever know when your big break is but I certainly feel like I'm in a really good spot now I really do
2: that's amazing I think it's incredibly important and you holding this space is, like you said, helping so many people, whether we hear of them or not. And and that to me, that to me is huge. That's exactly why we do the podcast, you know. We, we want to help as many people other than ourselves in our community because we we know the struggles. We've been through the struggles. And when we're in a position to help, we, we should do
1: just that. And we love to do it. We love it. So you, you mentioned Bianca Del Rio. How was that?
3: Oh my God, it was it was amazing. She uh, Bianca's funny though because she swears like a (laughs) motherfucker right you can literally hear her trying to like swear check herself as she's speaking so Mm. because it's live as well she's like you can hear her starting a sentence and then you can almost hear her cogs in her brain going (laughs) i'm not allowed to swear here so i need to be really careful Uh but she's she's honestly so so nice it's interesting with guests because people always say to me like whenever we had like you know, when we've got, like, Jade from Little Mix on or a really, really big meme and they're like, oh, are they a nightmare? And you're like, no, why would they be a nightmare? But are they are they not, like, a real diva? And you're like, no, actually, the people who are really hard work, now this is a scoop for you guys, the people that are really hard work are the people who are on their way up or that they think that they're on their way up because yeah. they think that they can be, like, they can demand times, they can demand edits, they can demand this, that, the other, or they're just really tricky. Or they're like not yeah. in a good mood. So, so
1: used... who, are, who are they? <laughs> <laughs> we need names. Name them. We name them.
2: Names.
3: Um, some of the repost drag race girls can be quite hard work. I can imagine. Um, one in particular. They're on the whole, they're all really, really gorgeous. And like I see them all now and we and like uh, we, you know when we're at uh, drag events and stuff like that, they're just like, oh my god, thank you for having me on the show and stuff like that. I'm like, I wait, thank you for thank you for being on the show. Like you are who you are. You know. Yeah. But of course. some, but some, um, yeah. It could just be a little bit of hard work, shall we say.
1: <laughs> Let's swiftly move on before Dean loses his job. Don't worry, I'm, after this, I'm going to look back at your guest schedule and be like, who from RuPaul's Drag Race?
3: Yeah, RuPaul's uh, Drag Race UK. That now is a a little bit. Thank you. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> who
2: would be your dream person? I mean, I imagine you've already interviewed a lot of people that you might have considered to be your dream people to interview, but who that you haven't interviewed would be your dream person to
3: interview? <sighs> Oh my god, I actually um, I actually have that person coming and I can't tell you who it is. You're not allowed to say. I'm not allowed to say who it is. But oh. honestly, when I tell you who this person is, I I think I'm shaking now even thinking about it.
1: Okay, so when are they on your show? Because <laughs> I can't tell you. This episode's gonna be on the fourth.
3: Oh, 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 oh Yeah, just keep just keep your ears whenever this episode goes out, yep. just keep your ears on the breakfast show because probably Around about this time, you'll find out who it is. But honestly, it's like, it's wow. It's (laughs) wow. So I'm looking forward to speaking to that person. I would also love to, um, I mean, people are probably guessing for me to say people like RuPaul, Michelle Visage. I mean, we've had Michelle Visage Visage on the show as well. Love her. Um, I'd love to have her just one-to-one, just me and her live on the show. That would be incredible. But I am more interested in people like Laverne Cox. Mm. I would love to have. I would love to get her on the show. I would really like to have a sit-down conversation with Boris Johnson. Actually, yeah, because um, he's one
1: of our like, most prominent LGBT people. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> he yeah. is such an ally.
3: Um, <laughs> I'd like to get him on just to have a conversation, really, and just sort of ask him what the fuck he's playing at. You know, what what are the where are LGBT policies? Where are they?
1: I would listen to that. Like yeah. just an hour of him being grilled about LGBT issues.
3: And I would go in. I would go in. I mean, I would go in. Obviously, I would keep my distance. Obviously, I would make space. And I'd probably get a COVID test straight after because yeah. Yeah. the next big name that we've got coming on this show, I think you're going to die.
1: Okay. We'll be listening. We'll be listening. Love that for us. Every breakfast love- will be with you, Dean.
3: Yeah, you should be anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we We
3: love it so at the
2: beginning of this episode you poured yourself a glass of non-alcoholic wine and you specifically asked for us to talk about um sober october and also like queer spaces and sober spaces now me and mustim were having a chat and we actually didn't see much about sober october this year in terms of like advertisement social media um stuff like that And I wondered if that was because, um, you know, due to the pandemic, it's much harder or more sensitive to kind of ask people to give up something when that might be their coping mechanism with everything going on.
1: Like, Is it harder to stop drinking and smoking during the pandemic?
3: Yeah, it is actually. And right at the beginning of the pandemic, I was definitely using that as a coping mechanism. We just started Mm -hmm. doing the breakfast show. It was really, really, really stressful. Then Black Lives Matter came. We were getting probably three or four you saved my life messages a week. I was getting people direct messaging me and saying that that I saved their lives and that this would be at like five past ten on a Friday and they would like telling me like, I'm going to just sit and wait now until you're back on at seven o'clock on Monday morning. Mm. And I know that some of these people were drinking themselves and they were would be up all night I would see the tweets I would see the messages coming to me and I'm an empath so I could just feel that there were people who were in a lot of pain and I think LGBT people as well we rely on going out on into the community whether that is to party or whether that is just to go out and be at drag shows or musicals or you know our our LGBT football teams or you know those kind of spaces that we really really have fought for and, and then when they're all taken away we might not have families that are really supportive mm. you know it was a lot it was a lot and i would leave the show on a friday morning and maybe by like 12 o'clock i would be like well, i'm just gonna have a glass of red now or because it was sunny i would like oh i'll just have a couple of a couple of vodkas like sitting on the balcony the next thing you know like you're hung over on a saturday and you just stay in bed all day and then try and pick yourself up on a sunday and you can't go anywhere it was just and and I was I would definitely now I realised that I was using intoxication to mm. mask that I was really, really, really struggling like massively. Sure. Um but even beyond that, my relationship with alcohol is is very healthy. It is very healthy. I don't drink lots. I never I would never really drink during the week. I don't binge drink at the weekend. Mm. I just enjoyed some like like drinks when I'm out in the bite, like going from bar to bar, to club to club. And then like, I love the after party. Like I am the last one standing at the after party. <laughs> um, and that's not good. That's not good for your mental health.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
3: it's it's not, not good. good for relationships it's not good for your stability in general financial and
1: professional and um It can start to interfere with all that
3: yeah like big yeah. time big big time and you you actually learn to trick yourself you trick yourself into thinking that that it's not an issue oh it's just a couple of beers it's yeah. just a couple of cocktails with the girls it's just another bottomless brunch but when you look you've had four of brunch in one in one in one month that's one a week like And you know, you never know. You could have like a couple of bottles of champagne. Next thing you know, you're like, "Oh, should we call a guy?" And then you call a guy. Then the, you know, you might end up taking drugs, etc., etc. You might end up in chem sex party where you're having unprotected sex. It's an un. It's a such a spiral that loads of gay men find themselves in. And I recently put out a survey. It's just a wee passion project of mine, just to really get a sense of what's going on at the minute. And it's. It is so, so alarming, these results that we've collected, like, so alarming. And the amount of people that have had suicidal thoughts during this pandemic is, it's really quite sad. And I and I think that I fall under that category where I've thought to myself, do you know what? Like, I just don't really see a way out here. Then I switch back into real reality. Like, I switch back into the reality
2: mm-hmm.
3: when I'm, like, sober again or, like, when I'm not lying hungover, I realised, oh my God, I can't believe you thought that. But what about the people who don't have a secure job or even an insecure job? What about people who don't have a single housemate, never mind a single family? You know, there are people out there who we underestimate, need support and help. And Mm -hmm. during this pandemic, the mental health of this community has completely, completely depleted. And I think the drugs and alcohol have a huge effect in that.
2: Yeah I speak about this a lot on on our platform in the sense that we already as a community struggle with mental health from a young age being othered and being made to kind of question ourselves and every action that we that we do like I think it's incredibly difficult um I appreciate you sharing that with us because that is, is is incredibly like deep and personal. Oh I could have
3: um, got deeper this is the thing I so could have got deeper but I don't want to comment at mental health or drug drug and alcohol use hmm. in a negative, dark way. So I don't want people to be listening to this now and thinking, God, it has to be really dark and really <sighs> scary for you to want to reach out and get help. It really doesn't. You don't even have to have a bad relationship like me. You don't have to have a bad relationship with alcohol hmm. to or drugs to want to say, I probably need to have a conversation with how much I'm drinking, or how much I'm I'm taking drugs, or you know, or having too much sex. We forget that sex is a, is is can be an addiction for some people as well. And I and I kind of feel like I've caught myself at the place where I could have gone one way or another. Yeah. And I think that that place can come and come and come. That happened to me in 2016. I remember it very very clearly. I was going out all the time in London. Like I was living on the Thames. I could literally see. The clubs from my balcony which mm-hmm. was great because i could have everyone back to my house we would party for like two and three days like i would be frequenting lots of gentlemen that's posh terms for anyone listening to <laughs> having loads of fucking sex um <laughs> thank, thank you for
1: translating for me that's fine that's fine that's here for. um
3: i forget that i'm not on the radio and i can say fuck every now and again because it's a we, love, we love we encourage it, it. we encourage we it we love to <laughs> fuck um but yeah, so I was doing that a lot. And I remember think, I remember seeing people who were literally getting sacked from their jobs. I remember yeah. seeing people who were like constantly at the clinic, people that were like being diagnosed all the time, people that were chasing their prep, people that were chasing pep. And I was like thinking, and I was quite young at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, hmm. And there was people that I would see only when there was drugs around. Yeah like that was it and i was thinking hmm we're in this club and i keep seeing you here and you are off your face yeah. so if i'm seeing you here and you're seeing me here there, i think there might be a problem yeah. um and i was able to like switch out of it because i i didn't feel like i was being reckless i didn't feel like i was in a downward spiral i just could see this road ahead and i was going hmm, this doesn't look too good so i switched yeah. it out and then mm. I, I changed things for myself
1: but not many people can do that. Not, not many people not can not do that. Not many people have the support network because no. if you're always going out drinking, taking drugs and it's affecting your life and you're using it as a coping mechanism or you're falling into an addiction pattern, you're not going to pull yourself out unless no. something really hits you. No. And that's why drugs, chemsex especially, yes. is a huge problem for the LGBT community, specifically gay men
3: and I get it I get the appeal I really really get the appeal if you are feeling a little bit like you've got low self-esteem maybe you don't get hookups as much as you want so if you're on grinder all the time you're not getting that surge of affirmation that surge of attention you think oh I know what I'm going to do I'm going to go to a chem sex party where there are multiple guys I can like take loads and loads of drugs so that I am a little bit out of it and then they're out of it I'm having loads of sex with people so therefore in a really really fucked up but still quite logical way you're getting what you want you're getting that attention you're getting that thrill you're getting that kick and in that moment yes I can see that that looks like a really fun exciting wild sexy thing to do but what's not wild fun and sexy is the day after or the day after Hmm. or the day after and it's an issue. Now, I'm not here to preach to people about chem sex and the ins and outs of that. I'm also not here to preach to people about drugs and alcohol either. We are all on a journey and you can take drugs, you know, you you can take drugs safely. You can drink safely. Mm. God, you can do whatever you want safely. It's your life and it's how you choose to live it. But I have just realised, I realised in 2017 when I was travelling that alcohol had no place in my life and it's taken me three years of different conditions, different therapies, different conversations, different experiences for me to actually go, I think it's about time I stopped drinking. And then I was like, right, I'm going to do September. So I did it. And September went like that. I found loads of alternatives. So I never felt like I was missing out. I was going out for dinner every weekend. I was really, really, really enjoying myself. I had no hangovers. I had no beer fear. And I just felt I just felt next level amazing and then now we're what end of October it's now what when this goes out it's like the second of November and I'm I've still not touched a drop this is me taking the next step into the more refined realized version of myself it's a whole new realm and I tell you what boys I do not miss anything amazing
2: for for people for people out there who are trying to trying to reach this as well you know i know you said you don't want to preach what's right and wrong mm. um what are some of the alternatives to besides doing things in moderation doing things safely mm-hmm. what's an, what what do you think you know just a bit of advice what what's an alternative to drinking or doing drugs
3: um i don't know cuz everybody's different and i don't think that you can say to somebody who does have a massive overbearing Addiction, I don't think my words is is going to change that for them. Mm -hmm. All I can say is, is that you have to want to quit. There is absolutely no point in putting yourself through hell if you know that in a couple of weeks' time, it's your friend's birthday, and with that friend, you take drugs, and you probably will allow them to enable you to take drugs. Because the amount of people that I hear that say to me, or oh, will, you, will you be having a drink at my birthday? Or friends of mine that say, oh, I've given up. I've, I've, I've not touched Coke in about a month, but I probably will at Christmas because I do. That's not um, giving up. That's just you... Moderating. It's moderating yourself, which if that works for you, then yeah. fine. But honestly, the switch will come when you realize why you're doing it. You need to see what is ahead, why do you not want to drink wine of an evening? If you really love drinking wine of an evening, then guess what? Drink the wine. If you really yeah. like having a beer when you're doing your podcast, I've <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: do it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, I am doing it.
3: Like that makes you really happy. For me, and, for me,
1: it's in moderation rather than quitting.
3: And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, it's about being a better version of me right? And I can, I'm still going to have all my flaws. I'm still going to, I'm not going to suddenly become this really well-rounded, phenomenal, teetotal person. And that's the end of it. This is just me really digging deeper into who I am as a person and taking the next step for myself professionally. Mm. I can see all of the jobs and all of the opportunities and all the relationships and all of that goodness ahead. And I know that I cannot get there if I'm drinking alcohol of a weekend and finding myself in a downward spiral because I can't say that if I hadn't stopped that because of the pandemic, that the second stage of this pandemic that we're in now, that I would even be able to be sat here doing this now with you on a Saturday. Do you know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Like, I've had to count these conversations that we're having right now as small wins. The fact that on a Saturday, I'm able to sit here with you guys, have a non-alcoholic glass of wine, which, by the way, isn't too bad. We can talk about that in a minute. But... <laughs> It's all those little moments where you think you get up in the morning, you make your bed, and you have a cup of tea and you sit and you don't have a hangover. That is how you reward yourself for yeah. for just looking after your mental health, looking after your coping mechanisms or whatever you want to call it. And there is there is no other there's no better feeling than clarity and that's exactly why I'm doing this is because I I just want to live in clarity. <laughs> Because we've been talking about it, um, this wine I'm not going to give them any publicity on your amazing podcast. But there are so many wines out there, like de alcohol, de, de- alcoholized wines, and mm. they take taste like cow piss, <laughs> like actual <laughs> cow piss. But this one isn't too shabby, and it really does smell like a like a glass of I'm going to say like an a like Sauvignon Blanc slash kind of Pinot Grigio. There are so many great alternatives out there. There's amazing gins that literally tastes like the real thing there's amazing um my favorite non-alcoholic beer is probably gonna be heineken it tastes really good you mm-hmm. don't have it you don't have a clue that there's no booze in it
1: do you not think the lgbt spaces are doing enough to encourage people to moderate or quit alcohol use no considering like chemsex and addiction is quite a prevalent thing for lgbt mental health yeah um like these venues should be doing more they should be supplying more of these non-alcoholic drinks yeah it's hard to tell now because we like a lot of us haven't been out to bars and clubs like we used to but like do you think queer spaces do enough for to create sober spaces
3: no i don't i really really don't it's a massive massive problem and i want it to change because i know that if there were alternatives out there and we were encouraged to to drink non-alcoholic drinks which don't which don't undercut The alcoholic drinks, we're not going to see a change in your profits, bars and clubs, because you still have to stock them and you still have to sell them. And guess what, huns? They're not any cheaper. They're exactly the same price. So there is no reason why these bars and clubs shouldn't have a really not extensive non-alcoholic drinks um, option. Just two or three different beers, you know, and a couple of really nice cocktails. Not this shit non-alcoholic mojito crap that's flying about where you don't get anything in the glass and you've spent. <laughs> I was in Soho last week and I had a non-alcoholic drink and it cost me £11 including service charge. I had two sips out of it before it was gone. And I thought <laughs> was it all just actual... ice? it was crushed ice and juice basically. They're not doing enough. I think we need to adopt a queer and sober initiative, which encourages queer people to still go out to G.A.Y. and dance like nobody's watching on, mm. on The Week um, and, you know, have all these brilliant drag brunches and, you know, all of these incredible things that happen all around our bar and club scene, but just have it in our head as a venue and as a, yeah. as a scene, that there are sober people out there who are being completely and utterly segregated by clubs who don't promote safe partying. Because it does exist. It can happen. Um, yeah. And we see this with um, Pride events. So Manchester Pride do this thing called suburbia, which is a completely alcohol free um, alcohol-free, um space for you to go and enjoy a program of speakers and panels and performances etc 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 and I just don't know why all the prides don't do this because pride is is a is a real staple in all of our calendars we all need it we all enjoy it it's a chance for us all to get together now I'm not saying that the chief execs of all these prides are telling people to go out and take drugs to have sex and to drink and that's what a pride is I'm not saying that what I'm saying is is that we need to have a bigger and better responsibility for the wider community Mm -hmm. to create these spaces for us to to feel like we don't need to feel anxious like oh my god manchester pride's coming up it's three days of partying and like i've got to go to work on monday but and i don't want to drink because i enjoy myself without it however my friends are all doing it what if we had a program that was therefore people who are sober what if there were stands of non-alcoholic prosecco that you can get you can turn up with the girlies and still have something yeah. to cheers with
1: right yeah. no no I, I totally agree pride should be catering to the variety of people who you know they're supposed to it shouldn't always feel like a piss up exactly uh, i know from volunteering with pride uh, in london they're always thinking about doing family areas or quiet areas and sober areas but now i'm almost thinking just hearing you speak like is it better to actually have that sober you know, soft drink stall in the middle of you know drinking spaces yeah rather than like oh i if i if i don't drink then i have to go to this part of the pride and then i'm going to be missing out whereas actually i can be part exactly. of the main area yeah and not feel like i have to go an extra length or to another area to come back yeah. with my non-alcoholic drinks
3: exactly it's all about conditions i whenever i was in bali I was on my way to a sober party, the first sober party I'd ever been to. I was absolutely dreading it. It was in a villa in the middle of nowhere, and a bit invited, and I was sharing a taxi with these girls from Australia. And the the girl had says, I turned to the girl and I said, You know, are you not a wee bit nervous that there's gonna be that there's um, no alcohol, that there's there's nothing for us to get like wavy with? I mean, we are in Mm -hmm. Bali at the end of the day. And she was like, No, Dean, because I am an ex-alcoholic. And I can tell you right now that willpower does not exist. It's all about conditions. She said, the reason why I was drinking a bottle of wine every single day was because there was a wine shop on the corner of my street. She dropped her daughter off. She would have to walk past this wine shop and it was by habit she went and bought the bottle of wine. So Hmm. that just became part of her thing. Like we get up in the morning, we have a cup of tea. She got up in the morning, had a glass of wine. And her willpower would not help her give up booze. So she moved to Bali. There are no wine shops at the corners of streets in Bali. And that's what she did. And she'd been sober for like four years. And she was like, I'm telling you right now, when you go to this party and you experience it in all its splendor with our kombucha, our cacao shots and the incredible energies and the DJs and everybody that's there, you won't even think about alcohol. And I went, impossible. Because I love a Prosecco. I was like, Impossible. So I went and I had the most incredible time. And then I realised that it's all about conditions. If we are conditioned to think that when we go to a Pride, we've got to stand in a car park and drink the beer because it's the only beer that's there. Guess what, people? That is what we're going to drink. Alcoholic or not, whether you like a beer or you don't, if you go to any event where there's just beer stand after beer stand after beer stand, shot girl after shot girl after shot girl, you're going to drink the beer and you're going to do the shots. Whereas, like you say, if we have the Queer and Sober initiative, which is that you can be queer, you can have fun, you're no different from anybody else, your conditions are now that. You can go to a Pride event and there's a non-alcoholic drinks menu which tastes just like the original, then you can go, you can have an amazing time. You can remember all of the acts. You can still kiss a boy and regret it. You can still (laughs) wake up in a pit somewhere and not know how you got there. But guess what? You've not got your hangover. You've not got that guilt. You've not got that fear. And you've now got new conditions to live a healthier partying life. You don't need to abstain. You just need to have that alternative to be able to Mm. still go to a bottomless brunch, but there to be a really good non-alcoholic version of that and now that I'm sober I'm seeing so many flaws in this format which is the nighttime club scene.
2: Yeah I think it's really important um, for friends and people listening who who do like a drink if you have a friend that doesn't drink or isn't into that to make them feel normal and welcome for that not to kind of point it out oh you're not drinking oh why not like you should come anyway if you know someone like yourself Dean that isn't drinking for people to say to you like oh don't worry about not having a drink like come anyway it'll be fun yeah we we need that encouragement you know on a on a a more local level between our friendship groups because then being at the event regardless as long as you know you're with people that support you for 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 you it's chill and we can all still have fun um and and be part of our own community
1: so um you're saying that now that you're sober you see that there's flaws in the the nightlife landscape and the kind of lgbt venues we have in london manchester and i guess other other towns and cities if you could just insert one venue into that landscape a sober venue what would it look like to you
3: It would look exactly like the rest of them. It wouldn't be any different. I made all my mistakes in Soho. I wouldn't dream of putting a sober bar in Soho and telling people to come to it because that's not what this is about. For me, this is about inserting a initiative into these venues, which is just like any other menu. It's just another menu of an array of drinks that have been really well thought out, that are really appealing, they're really sexy. They're really fun. And they are encouraging you to not drink. My own sober space would be next level. Amazing. There would, be, <laughs> there would be drag queens on every corner. It would be full of the great people in our industry who would just stay there all the time. Stephen Fry would be there. Paul O'Grady would be there. Sandy Togswig would be there. Cynthia Nixon would be there all of the great, amazing people will be at the launch of that incredible sober space. But you know what? It wouldn't, for me, it wouldn't have to be a sober space because there's nothing wrong with having a drink. There's nothing wrong with doing that. We just need to have a better handle on coming together Mm. as a community in all of our different ways. (laughs) It's really weird. It's such a good question because I'm like, I do want (laughs) to have this space. I do want it to exist, but I don't, see why we you know i want i want everyone to be together i just want Mm -hmm. to know that at that table that when the menu comes out that there are people around there that don't say right well i'll just have a vodka because there's fuck all else on the menu do you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah maybe the venues are so drink orientated that we actually need to take a step back and have actually put funding towards an lgbt community center in london and manchester i've just Uh,
3: realized something really really important sorry to interrupt you i've just realized that I have got a whole packet of free pastel lollies that are still sitting in that Sainsbury's bag that 100% are gonna be melted. Let me see, one second. Oh my god. I really hope that they've not melted. Oh, quick, get them in. <laughs> They're not melted. Thank the Lord. They're just a bit squishy. They're a bit slushy. Does anybody want a lint chocolate? <laughs> this is the thing when you give up booze. Honestly, you, start Spencer, eating. you eat like a bitch. Yeah, uh, a bit. anybody anybody that's listened to this now and thinks like, right, you know what? After this chat, I'm gonna give up. Just be ready to eat all the sweets, <laughs> all the sweets. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to give up sugar. Full stop.
2: I think it's it's chaos.
3: Sugar. Yeah. That's the other thing. Because all of our because um, a lot of the booze that because it's alcohol free, they just shove loads of sugar in it. Yeah. That you get the biggest sugar crash during the night. So you yeah. actually do wake up with a bit of a hangover. Mavsine, do you wanna do you want um a lint a lint chocolate, darling? Yeah, yeah, just whatever. Right <laughs> I'll I'll eat it for you. <laughs> but sorry, I completely interrupted what you were saying there. I had to see if the food pasta lollies.
1: What was I saying? Oh LGBT Community Centre. What we need are more spaces like an LGBT community center or LGBT museum, just different types of venues that aren't drink focused. Yeah, And I think that's also important for a younger generation of LGBTQ people, like who are 17, 18, coming of drinking age to realize, oh, when I turn 18, if I want to be part of my community, it's not always just about going to the bar. Because exactly. when I was younger, growing up in Brighton, that's what I thought being gay meant is to go to gay bars. I didn't even know that there could be gay museums, you know, gay cafes or community centers or even like gay sports teams like I didn't really know about that when I was younger
3: Mm, that's so true and I would really love to open a gay cafe in every major city where you just go and you have like really gorgeous salads and like really gorgeous food wholesome food and the people that are working there are so colorful and fun and there's books and there's music and there's jamming sessions and it's just all really fun and there's not a drop of alcohol in sight wouldn't that be a dream if anybody's listening now and you've got a couple of mil, invest it in me and I'll return the money in five years' time. I can hear millionaires listening now thinking, do you know what, Dean? I I think we do have quite a lot of millionaires that listen to the show. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. (laughs) Oh, my God, Daddy, are you listening? Are you a millionaire, Daddy? (laughs) We love to see
2: it. Okay, so on that note, I think Dean should run for president because all these initiatives that you've got going on in your mind, uh, that the passion behind it and the energy, I mean,
1: I would vote for you. And that, everyone, is the end of episode two. Thank you for listening.
2: Um, a huge thank you, Dean, for joining us. We're so grateful you're here. And I'm, I'm super glad you saved the uh, fruit pastel ice lollies because that could have been a disaster. <laughs> I, d- I don't want to be responsible for the death of those lollies especially
3: when i'm not having any espresso martinis of an evening <laughs> free pasta lollies are literally my <laughs> saving grace
2: the-, the next best thing <laughs> literally Amazing. If you would like to follow Dean and his activities, you can find him on both Instagram and Twitter at The Dean Life and tune in to Breakfast and you'll hear him um, with a very exciting celebrity coming very soon. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's all I can say. You're going to die. <laughs>
1: and um, don't forget to let us know that you've listened to this episode on socials. We're on Instagram at queer underscore talk and on Twitter, we're at queer talk underscore... Until next time.
3: Bye I
1: was the best. I was the best.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.